It's time for the show that scours the globe for news that interests you. We've scoured a few other planets, too. Didn't find much. Coming to you almost live from their command center just beneath the Earth's crust, here's Jeremy Bray and Wesley Faulkner with Global Geek News. Greetings, everybody, and welcome to the Global Geek News Podcast. As always, I am your host, Jeremy Bray, alongside my co-host, Wesley Faulkner. How's it going, Wesley? Hello. Things are awesome. Well, that's good to hear. Are you bearing an iPad? Uh, Bearing? Uh, No. (laughs) Ah, that's too bad. Neither am I. So I'm kind (laughs) of in the same boat. It's not that time of the month for me, so no, I don't have one. Yeah. Yeah, I... Just pretty much sat at home and watched all the other idiots camp out for an iPad. I wish I had time. Uh, doing a lot of, uh, you know, springs here. Got a lot of yard work and stuff to do around the house. Uh, but it, I, I would have actually loved to hang out at the Apple Store and see who would who would be standing in line. Maybe take some video. Yeah, from what I was told, the uh, I the I the Apple Store around here. I, I'm guessing there must not have been too big of a line or whatever, because I guess they still had some for sale later on in the afternoon, and I assume they had some available at Best Buy and stuff too. I don't from from conversations that I saw, I don't think that the iPad was actually real popular around here just because of its price. Yeah, actually, I don't know of anyone who I I don't know anybody. Let me just put it this way. Everybody that I know that bought an iPad, they are all bloggers. I've never, I, I haven't yet, I have yet to know anyone who's just a regular Joe Schmo buy an iPad. Yeah, I don't think I have any, I've heard of anybody but bloggers and new media people and stuff like that buying an iPad. And I don't know, if, I think the main thing is the price on the iPad is why most people don't seem to be all that interested in it or they may think it's cool but it's not something that they're going to buy immediately especially when I hear that a lot of iPad apps are charging like four times the price of their iPhone app versions which are and it's basically the same thing just a higher resolution version of the program right well right now there's a gold rush on it um, which kind of segues perfectly into our uh, first story um, which is developers turned sour on the actual I- on the iPad. Yes, and I and I do want to just say everybody, um, one, don't forget to check out. You can follow along in the show notes at globalgeeknews.com. But two, this isn't going to be one of those iPad love fests like you had on Twit yesterday. <laughs> I don't know if you've listened to Twit yet, but it was basically just one big iPad love fest. I basically kind of went the opposite way with the stories, like the first story of developers turning sour on the iPad, because apparently um, where originally, before the iPad was announced, 90% of developers said that they would, or of Apple developers or iPhone developers, or just, I guess, mobile developers in general, um, said that they were going to build apps for the Apple tablet, but 
shortly after, or by the time it was actually shown off or whatever, the enthusiasm dropped to where only 80% of developers were interested in developing for the iPad, largely because of the lack of multitasking. Yes, um, but for that same reason, I've heard that a lot of people want to develop for that platform because they know they'll have complete use of all the resources. Um, but I think um, they, since they didn't really enter, um, really give anything new, uh, as in uh, you know, like an accelerometer and um, and the the the, the touchscreen, since all those are something that are, are pretty you know, basic when it comes to the iPod Touch. Um, they didn't even introduce a camera or anything like that, uh, finger sensor, anything. Uh, it seems that I think a lot of people were disappointing, at least initially, on the rumor hype. And once reality sent in, they got a little disappointed. Yeah, it it's nothing I would probably necessarily want to develop for myself. Then again, I don't like Objective-C, so... That would probably be part of the reason that, and I don't have a Mac to develop on. But, you know, speaking of uh, resources on the system, I've seen a couple of stories float around that apparently some apps are having issues where they take up so much memory that the, I, the iPad reports an error that it's out of memory that you have to reboot the iPad to free up the memory. Wow, really? Yeah, uh, You know, I wouldn't be surprised because of how guarded Apple was with with the iPad uh, before it was actually released, a lot of developers are just running on emulators. And um, emulators are uh, not exactly the same as the right device. I mean, as the same device uh, is in hardware. So that could be um, just the first week woes until they get fixed because um, developers will actually get an iPad and hopefully debug it on the, the hardware. Yeah, I've got a feeling that um, Apple went a little bit cheap on the memory and didn't get quite enough for the device. It reminds me a lot of the PSP. Is You don't see this problem as much with the newer PSPs, basically anything newer than the PSP 1000s, the original PSPs. But with the original PSPs especially, whenever you'd view web pages, if it was any decent size at all, it'll come up saying you ke- this page cannot be displayed um, out of memory too much. It's using too much memory or whatever, because the original PSPs only had 32 megs of RAM. Now the late, the newer PSPs, they all have 64, so they don't have the problem as much, but it's still a problem that they have. But whenever you have these mobile devices and you run out of memory, so you can't do everything that you want to do, that really kind of hampers what you can do with the device. Yeah, and uh, this is trial and error at this point. People are going to have to learn what they can and can't do. Yeah, I'm kind of curious to see. um, It was announced today that um, I believe it's on the 8th, so in what, two, three days, something like that, uh, Apple's going to be having an event to announce the iPhone OS 4.0, which presumably there will be an OS update for the iPad, considering it's basically based on the iPhone OS as is. So I'm kind of curious to see if that's going to have any, if that's going to help any on this. I know I've heard a number of different rumors about the new 
iPhone OS, multitasking, stuff like that, which if they started doing multitasking, that's going to cut down on the amount of RAM available to applications even more, making this problem even worse. Yeah. It'd also be more complicated if they uh, don't release that to the iPad and only keep it for the iPhone version, which Mm -hmm. I could see them doing. Yeah, I'm kind of curious to see if... Well, I also saw a story where apparently there's been some sites that are noticing some traffic from the new iPhone 4.0 or whatever OS, but they're noticing three different versions of 4.0. So presumably there's going to be an iPhone, an iPad, and an iPod Touch version. I'm just kind of curious if we're going to have to pay for an upgrade to 4.0 on the iPod Touch or whatever like we've had to do in the past. Um, I know I won't have to pay for it. (laughs) Yeah. But... Anyway, there's tons of other um, interesting little tidbits in this particular story if you check it out in the show notes in terms of um, how interested developers are in different platforms like not only the iPad and and the iPhone, but Android, Symbian, um, Windows Phone 7, which, yay, they dropped series from the name. I was very excited when I read that this last week. Did you have something to do with it? I don't know. I I would kind of like to think that my conversation with Todd Bricks had something to do with it, but I don't know. Well, let's just say yes. Yeah, why not? Hey, yeah. Windows Mobile or Windows Phone Seven was my idea. <laughs> but anyway, there, there's tons of other uh, things in there, including um, developer excitement in the Amazon Kindle, which apparently is only at around twelve percent or so. But anyway. Speaking of our next and final iPad story, apparently the numbers aren't quite what was originally expected. Apparently the devices on the first day sold 300,000 devices, sold a million apps, 250,000 ebooks, but that's still quite a ways lower than estimates. Although still better than the first day of the original iPhone launch. Yeah, apparently it was uh, the estimates were double that, uh, close to the seven hundred thousand. Um, but um, of course, that's uh, just an estimate. We won't we won't know until it's actually all said and tallied and get some official numbers out. Yeah, the they were kind of um, didn't mention some numbers in terms of like. Um, total weekend sales, stuff like that. This was basically just kind of the first day or leading up to the first day or whatever. Um, originally, there was an estimate by analysts last week of 400000 Then after all the hype, send, I believe it was sent by Sunday afternoon or so, they upped it to 700000 This comes out this morning even lower than the original estimate by 100,000 units. So, I don't know. I, I'm not sure... I don't necessarily want to call this a kind of a failure right off the bat just because it sold 30,000 more than the iPhone did on the first day but it can't look good that they sold a whole lot less than what was expected and that's still a fraction of the market compared to something like the Kindle has well it's it's hard to say what to compare it with because it's not exactly Kindle, it's not exactly an iPod Touch, it's not exactly an iPhone. So it's hard to put it in 
uh, a category in which it can, can be compared. Yeah, it's. I guess we could always compare it to the HP Slate, but they're not quite out yet. Right. Although they did um, announce some specs and stuff on that today, which... What do you think of the specs? Did you get a chance to take a, to take a look at the actual specs themselves? Oh, no, I did not. Well, I happen to have a copy of all the specs right in front of me. Um, actually, it's a comparison of the iPad and the Slate. The Slate has a slightly smaller screen at 8.9 inch compared to the 9.7 inch iPad. It has a slightly lower um, resolution display at 1024 by 600 compared to 1024 by 768. It does have a little bit faster processor, assuming you're actually going by um, gigahertz speed because it's using a 1.6 gigahertz Intel Atom processor compared to the 1 gigahertz Apple A4. Um, it's going to be capable of 1080p playback. It will come in two storage sizes of 32 and 64 gig compared to the 16, 32, and 64 of the iPad. Uh, it's going to have one gig of RAM. Don't know what the RAM is on the iPad. Like we said, it's having issues. Um, it's going to have Bluetooth, 802.11bg wireless, optional 3G, um, GPS. It's going to have different card readers that can read up to 128 gigabytes for like SD cards which would be nice. Um, one USB 2.0 port. It'll have Windows Home's, Windows 7 Home Premium, which and with an HP Touch optimized UI, which... Really? Yeah, and I'm, I'm kind of curious to see what the whole HP Touch optimized UI brings to the table, if that's going to be kind of like the um, HP Touch Smart home computers or whatever they're called. Mm-hmm. or just how exactly that's going to work, because I certainly don't care for the idea of a full-blown OS like Windows 7 on a tablet device, but also it's going to only have around 5 hours battery life compared to the 10 hours of the iPad, but it will have a 3-megapixel outward-facing camera and a VGA webcam that is inward-facing. And the price points for it is going to be 549 for the 32 gig version and 599 for the 64 gig version. So it beats it on price and stuff, but I don't know. I'm I just don't see using a full blown OS on something like a tablet. It just makes no sense to me. Not unless it has a different UI. I mean, uh, as I said, if they skinned it with something that is very friend- f- finger friendly. Maybe some different types of uh, input methods other than uh, just virtual keyboard. Then possible, poss- it could be a possible um, uh, full-fledged computer interface for a tablet. Um, but until then, no. Well, even so, five hours of battery life compared to ten of the iPads kind of sad. And I don't know about you, but I really don't want to have to worry about the long boot up and shutdown times of. Windows compared to something a little bit faster like you'd have with an iPad or if they or if somebody wanted to come out with like a Linux version because I know I believe it's Ubuntu that's been working on trying to get a 10 second boot time I don't think they're there quite yet but I think they're getting there I from what I've heard but yeah solid state is going to help with that 
Yeah, I love my solid state. I wouldn't give it up for anything. I kind of want to upgrade everything I have to solid state, but I don't have that kind of money. But anyway, speaking of um, mobile devices and what you can do with them, stuff like that, apparently there are some new commercials from Verizon for the Motorola Droid that are challenging iPhones. There's an app for that commercials. Yes. Um, I've seen these commercials. They're very convincing. Um, they really tell visually how many apps they have by having tiny itty bitty icons for each one and having it expand like a uh, like a shockwave. It's pretty cool. See, I haven't seen these ads quite yet. The only ones I I've seen are pretty much just like the voice search and stuff like that. I haven't seen these ones where supposedly apparently there's this great big sphere of apps and yeah, one gets chosen or some get chosen to highlight things that the droid can do that the iPhone can't, such as multitasking and maybe some of the apps that it has that the iPhone doesn't have, like Google Sky Map. Yeah, which is the right way to hit them. Um, also, um, just throwing in a little rumor here, uh, I heard that Google's I.O. conference, um, I heard that they're shipping out um, they're shipping out droids to, to attendees who are going. Yeah, for the I.O. conference, if you take one of the... There's one of two different ta- um, tracks that you can take to get a device, or I believe it's some kind of like a mobile development track, where you can get your choice of either the Droid or the Nexus One. That was Originally, that was kind of why I wanted to go to the Google I.O. conference, was to get a Nexus One. But in the end, it just kind of didn't work out, because as I recall, I think it was like a couple of days before I was supposed to go to Mix, and I didn't really feel like spending all the money to go out to um, L.A. or wherever it was that they were having the conference. Yeah, well, they're shipping them out early is the big thing. Like, they're shipping them out, like, now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was under the impression that they were supposed to get them at the event, but, yeah, it doesn't surprise me that they're shipping them out instead. But I, I don't know. Right now, I'm I'm kind of waiting to see what's going to happen with Nextel, because I know a while back I saw that they were supposed to be coming out with an Android version of Nextel that, has, that uses the IDIN push-to-talk uh, functionality that I need for work, but at the same time, I'm kind of waiting for Windows Phone 7, and I'm hoping that they get a Windows Phone 7 device that has that capability as well. But I've got a feeling that won't come out for a little while longer, and my contract on my BlackBerry ends in July, and I just assume get rid of my BlackBerry as fast as I could. Yeah, I've, from what I've seen about some of the devices for... I, I know we're kind of getting off topic here, but... Um, yeah. It seems like they've been uh, mostly based off reference designs. Uh, they're all virtually the same dimensions. They all have the same buttons and feature sets. Um, so uh, I don't think there's going to be a lot of variety at launch of Windows Phone 7. Yeah. Series. <laughs> yeah. They, they showed off um, three different phones at Mix. I'm trying to think. I, there was an Asus one, which is the one that they primarily showed off in all the keynotes and most of the demos and stuff. There was an LG, and I believe there was a Samsung. And all of them, they've got really high minimum specs for just for being able to have the devices themselves. But I know some of the uh, 
different vendors are kind of doing their own different take in terms of hardware as far as like how much memory and stuff they want to put on the phone. I believe it was um, wasn't the LG. I think it was the Samsung or whatever that on the back of the phone had this like gigantic camera lens. So I'm guessing it's supposed to have some kind of a really awesome camera, which. As I recall, they said that the minimum camera on any Windows Phone 7 series is going to be 5 megapixel. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I'm just from looking at what they showed, the operating system is pretty much going to be the, the same across all of them. But as, in terms of the hardware of the device, there will be a fair bit of um, differentiation. Really? Okay. That's good yeah, to hear. That, that's what it seemed like, at least of the three devices that they showed off. LG, of course, is the typical ugly LG stuff, but the Asus was kind of real blocky looking. I actually kind of liked it to an extent. But anyway, speaking of operating systems and Windows, apparently Windows 7 now has 10% market share. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, whereas XP still has nearly 65%. Um, Yeah, but kind of really amazes me is that Vista still has 16% market share. I'm not surprised because uh, there's still uh, netbooks that are being sold uh, mm. with with uh, with XP. Yeah, X- XP doesn't surprise me too much. It's the Vista number is the one that really surprised me. Oh, Vista? Me. Yeah. Yeah, Vista is still at 16%, and... Apparently, all other versions of Windows is at 0.67%, which apparently encompasses ME98 and 2000, which I'm kind of surprised there's still that many people using those operating systems. I didn't believe that people could use ME. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't think so either, unless the fact that there's 0.04% that are still using it, which... I can see Windows 98. I was always a huge Windows 98 fan myself. Yeah, I love the hacking with that. Yeah, and a lot of people have always liked Windows 2000 for its stability and stuff. That's what I used in high school. But, yeah, it's... it's, I don't know, everybody seems to be making a big deal about this whole Windows 7 being a 10% number, that it's the fastest selling operating system, and it's essentially outselling... or in terms of the first five months of availability, it's practically doubling the sales of what Vista had. But I th- I think that the primary reason for that is because Vista had so much bad publicity when it came out between all of the drivers not working, um, constant blue screens, and all kinds of stuff. I think that's what kept it from being at like a Windows 7 level. Whereas with Windows 7, everybody is like universally praising it. I saw, and I think I even tweeted um, a story at a Lifehacker where like 97% of Windows 7 users were happy with Windows 7. Yeah, and uh, we might even see that go up dramatically after SP1 is released later on this year, um, which is supposed to be a really big bug fix patch to make smooth out some things. Um yeah, that was one thing I, for some stupid reason, I didn't ask anybody at Mix was about um, SP1, but from the sounds of it, they've been pretty tight-lipped about that for the most part anyway. But yeah, for mo- most businesses, 
and even a lot of people wait till service pack one before they upgrade their operating system. So I've got a feeling that that number is going to really increase once service pack one comes out, assuming service pack one doesn't cause any issues. Mm-hmm. Well, it's supposed to be a pretty safe release. I mean, it's more of a roll-up than anything else, but um, I think that'll ensure that everyone's at least at the same level. Yeah, it, it should be interesting to watch that. I'm kind of curious to see how fast Vista's market share drops as Windows 7 kind of takes over, and and the same with XP. But kind of what real what really surprises me is that Windows overall had a sizable drop of 0.54 percentage points between yeah. February and March. Yeah, there's a lot of mobile devices out there. I I I, I, don't, I, don't, um... I, I assume this is all desktop OSs, so I'm guessing the um, 8.75 percent of non-Windows has got to be talking about Mac and Linux, basically. Okay, oh, it's just that the, with the comparison, what they were talking about towards the end, we were talking about Ars Technica and who's hit their site. And, uh, yeah. I thought it was uh, based off of uh, web traffic. Yeah, they did a little bit of a comparison in terms of their web web traffic compared to these um, uh, overall numbers that were compiled by net applications, which I'm not real familiar with net applications. I don't think I've ever heard of them before. But apparently they must have a good pulse on these numbers anyway. But also, just a quick little plug in there. Sometime here, I believe it's sometime this month, the new version of Ubuntu, or the whole Ubuntu family is coming out. And this is going to be one of their uh, long-term support releases. So they're working on, this one's more about stability compared to their usual um, releases which have more experimental stuff in them. This one's going to be... Um, uh, I don't remember the exact numbers, but they're going to be supporting patches and stuff for a couple of years on the desktop and even a couple more years on servers for these long-term releases like the one that's getting ready to come out that I know is in... I don't remember if it's a beta or release candidate, but if you're an Ubuntu fan, I hear it's really good. I know I'll be installing it on one of my netbooks where... It still has the Windows 7 release candidate that I haven't gotten rid of yet. Was well, it? Uh, it's not Ferret. It's uh, what's it? What's it called? What is the code name for it? Oh, like, I want to say it's Intrepid Ibex. Um, let me. Uh, uh, I believe it's 10.04 is the version that's coming out. Let's see, because 9.10 is the one that is currently out. So let's see, 10.04, Lucid Links, that's it. Oh, okay. Yeah, Lucid Links, and I know I saw a name for the next version... I'm trying to see if I can figure out what that was. Okay. Uh, looks like Maverick Meerkat is going to be the next one, which I believe yes. is supposed to be out in the fall. That's what I was thinking of, Meerkat. Yeah, that, that's one of the nice things about um, Canonical and what they do with Ubuntu, Kubuntu, and all the other 
Ubuntu related stuff is that they release new versions of their operating system like twice a year compared to everybody else which will like Microsoft or Apple or whatever which will release something like every couple of years but yeah I mean uh, technology changes fast and that's why I like my re- I like my releases to be pretty fast and that's part of the problems why uh, Microsoft has had problems in the past is because they don't release often. Whether you're talking about Windows Mobile or you're talking about Windows itself as an OS or even Office, I mean. Yeah, and I do want to throw out that no, I haven't upgraded my PS3. I still have my Linux on it, <laughs> and it'll stay that way probably at least for another month or so in hopes of the hackers finding a way or around whatever Sony did in the latest patch. But anyway, yeah, on to our next story. Apparently, 90% of Windows 7 flaws can be fixed by removing administrator rights. This is good, and uh, actually, what it says is that it's the most secure from all the other versions, even server, when you talk about restriction of uh, of rights. And the funny thing also is that 100% of the outstanding flaws... Uh, for uh, Internet Explorer 8 can be um, mitigated by using standard users instead of admin users, which is you know pretty awesome. Yeah, these numbers are quite impressive. As, I mean, compared to apparently with like Windows Vista, only 54% of their flaws of its flaws could be um, mitigated by using by removing administrative rights from the account that's generally used. Um, 62% with XP, and I believe it's like 94% or 100% of Office, 94% of IE overall. So that's like IE6, IE7, and of course 100% of IE8. But this is one of those things where I pay a lot of attention to kind of how Linux does things and kind of how Windows does things. And this is one of the things that I've kind of noticed because for basically forever, and they've kind of gotten away with it, especially more, I don't know how much about it in Windows Vista, but definitely in Windows 7, they're trying to push users toward having just a regular use account and not running the administrative account all the time, which is was always pretty much the case in XP, Windows 98, and pretty much everything before that. But whereas Linux for years, for pretty much ever since I've been using Linux, is they've had the whole idea pretty much grained into the head of anybody that uses Linux that you always run as the standard user. If there's anything you ever need to do as an admin... You don't have to log out, log in as an admin, do whatever. You just do a simple pseudo command and do whatever action you need to do. As to where it makes it kind of really convenient, much easier than how you do things in Windows. Plus, you don't have all the annoying UAC and stuff like that to deal with. And even then, there's some actions in Windows that a lot of times I'll go to move a file, delete a file, something like that. You do not have permission to do this. What the heck are you talking about? I'm an administrator. I'm, I'm running an admin account. Of course I have permission to do this. It's just one of those things that kind of, as much as I absolutely love Windows, especially Windows 7, it just bugs the crap out of me. Yeah. But it's all for your own good. <laughs> yeah, I guess I, I'm just a little bit more security-minded than most people. That's kind of 
why there are times when I'm drawn to Linux is as much as I like Windows 7 and they've made a lot of improvements, there's just some things that make more sense when they're done in Linux. Yes. I, I totally agree, especially like it brings me back to my good old days when um, doing individual group permissions and uh, user permissions and doing all those individually in Linux. Uh, sorry, Unix back in the day. But uh, Yeah, I'm yeah, I've been using Linux for the better part of, I don't know, half dozen years or so. And I I don't use it that often. It's just kind of a, if my Windows install kind of gets corrupted or something like that, and I just kind of need something right away, I'll throw in Linux. Or if I've just got a spare machine or on my PS3 or whatever, I'll throw in Linux. It's not something that I run very often. But when I do run it, I usually enjoy running it until I go to install software. Then it's a nightmare. Mm-hmm. That, that's the one horrible thing about Linux is installing software is far harder than it needs to be. Right. That's given you know what what package installer it is and all that stuff. And yeah, and if you even if you just go to install Flash, and it's like there is no installer or anything. You have to install it go to the command line, navigate to the folder, type in all kinds of weird commands. Extract it. Yeah, Yeah. extract it. Type a couple of weird commands to get it to install, and it's just one big, ugly process compared to hitting a couple of buttons and, ooh, it's done. Yeah. But now that I can pretty much kiss my Microsoft Student Insider thing goodbye with all this Linux love, (laughs) uh, apparently DARPA is... Face is worried that we're going to have a national nerd shortage. I would agree. Um, DARPA, DARPA is saying that basically there's less graduates in, in science and technology and computer science, and it, the numbers just keep getting lower, and they're going to have a hard time recruiting people for their program. Yeah, apparently, um, I guess DARPA is kind of getting it both, from both ends because one, they're having their budget cut, and then Second, they're finding it harder and harder to find good qualified um, math and science and technology students that are willing to work on this stuff that they have. So if you're looking for a job, you might want to check with DARPA if you're like a nerd. Yeah. But I this has been something that I've kind of paid attention to for a while and in that like computer science students numbers up until the last year – were dropping at a very rapid rate here in the U.S. In the last year, they've rebounded a little bit. But I know one of the big things that like Bill Gates and stuff was concerned about was these dropping numbers. And for the most part, the educational system for most schools in the U.S. is garbage anyway. Mm. But um, to have this shortage is definitely going to really put us behind other countries. But there's, they give, um, at the end of this popular science article, they have one piece of advice for DARPA to enticing um, geeks into the whole um, science, technology, and math field. And that's entice them with dates. Yes. Or, or just women in general. <laughs> yeah, that too. They don't, they don't need dates. They can just be around women. And... <laughs> yeah. Dates, hookers. It, it all works. Yeah. Yeah, so so start recruiting women, and then men will just follow. Yeah, that that's the one thing that I've 
always notice like whenever I happen to go to conventions like Mix or PDC or whatever, it's like there's hardly any women at all there. I mean, when I was at Mix, I hmm, I don't even know. I would say there was probably like one woman to every thirty men. I mean, it, it's really kind of sad when you go to these conventions that there's like hardly any women at all there. I, th- I think if there was, if we were able to entice the women to come into tech into the technology fields, then we could get the geeks to go there. Well, yeah, of course. <laughs> um, but I mean, yeah, I, I think their 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 angle. What the spin of the story should be that geeks are going to be in demand soon, so it's going to be the cool thing to do. Uh, um, that geeks are going to be the elite. And uh, the future just looks bright. So uh, supply and demand. So right now, geeks are one of the biggest breadwinners in the in the working space. And this is only just going to uh, push it to the other level. People are going to really, really be banking if you're a geek. Yeah, I know. I'm definitely going to go check out whatever DARPA website there is to see what they have, what kind of jobs they have after reading this story. But. Yeah, you can just say, "Ooh, ooh, IP address." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, start Stargate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, that's a program I want in. <laughs> but well, if there's one place I don't know if I necessarily want to work on software, it would be New Zealand. But not because of the software, just because I don't want to move to New Zealand. Oh, because apparently they're going to have. They have a new patent reform bill, one that I greatly support, that says no to software patents. Yes, so um, basically the only kind of software they'll even consider uh, letting you apply for a patent for are going to be for embedded systems only. Uh, And and, uh, those are even going to be really, really strongly uh, looked at to make sure if they qualify for such a patent. Yeah, I think there's a I don't know if I would necessarily say no to all software patents, and I think there's kind of a fine line there to walk, because there's some things that, yeah, maybe they should be patented, but anymore, a lot of these companies, they have patents on the stupidest things. I I know of a story, I think it was probably about a year ago or so, where Apple went after some developer because he used shiny bubbles in his iPhone app and apparently, um, the whole shiny bubble, shiny icon thing, Apple has a patent on. That's ridiculous. Yes. And and I'm kind of glad that New Zealand is kind of standing up for this. Basically, New Zealand is apparently a more of a haven for open source software, and they see the the patent, the um, software patents are kind of like the enemy of innovation, especially in open source software. So they're saying, okay, no more patents because we want open open source software to succeed and thrive. So I kind of see this as a good thing, but then again, I do enjoy my open source. Yeah, uh, the big question is, I wonder if it'll uh, scare away more established players and maybe give some innovation towards some of the... uh, 
the 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 new up and comers, but the, like the the Apples and the Microsofts, they may shy away from from participating in such a system. Yeah, I'm not sure. It doesn't really say if this is kind of like a retroactive kind of thing, where any software patents that have been granted up until now will be revoked, or if it's basically no new software patents. Which I would assume that it would be a case of no new software patents. Um, yeah, because I mean, people have built business models over what the past system was. Uh, to just change that uh, just by passing a law and retroactively removing that would be very detrimental. Um, so uh, my guess is that it's going to be a phased-in approach. Yeah. Well, speaking of patents and loosely related copyrights, in a story from last week that kind of scared the crap out of me when I first read it on Slashdot, apparently a U.S. copyright group or a company from D.C. called the U.S. Copyright Group filed over 20,000 anti-piracy lawsuits thanks to some new software that they have that allows for real-time tracking of BitTorrent pirates. Yeah, and apparently also uh, they have 30,000 on on their way uh, to to another shoe is going to fall and the hammer is going to drop because uh, they're really, really going after these people. Yeah, the good thing is that the MPAA at this point is not involved in it. I guess they're kind of sitting back to see how well this works or seeing if ISPs are willing to cooperate with these huge mass um, lawsuits, which kind of remind me of the RIAA. But I guess they, with this new technology, they can um, just kind of file these huge amount of lawsuits and basically pretty much create a denial-of-service attack on the justice system. Um, apparently, for this U.S. copyright group, their this first 20,000 lawsuits, and I presume the 30,000 to follow, are basically all after people who downloaded independent film... Um, stuff from the Independent Film and Television Alliance. So basically, if you took anything that was from the MPAA, you probably don't have a whole lot to worry about. Otherwise, you might just keep an eye out in the mail or whatever for any um, legal summons or whatever. So apparently, there's so far there's only been one ISP unnamed that has been willing to comply with these uh, um, lawsuits, and they turned over 70, 71 names and addresses of downloaders, eight of which have settled, all of which, all of which received settlement offers, but only eight have settled. So eight out of 71, that's not too good a number. So hopefully all the others are going to be fighting, and when they realize that they're going to get all these thousands of people fighting them, it's going to cause more hassle than it's worth, and they're going to give it up. But that's just kind of what I'm hoping for. Yeah, and a lot of ISPs are worried about their their safe harbor, you know, the safe harbor that they're supposed to be granted under the law about um, them not being liable for this. So um, also, so there's there's no um, no motivation for them to participate in such a program. Um, so and, and also and to piss off their customers. So um, I don't think this is really going to catch on, but it's still another development that people might not be aware of. Yeah, if the MPAA or whatever picks this up, I will definitely be changing my piracy habits. I will not be dropping my piracy habits. I will just be changing them. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just like um, if they ban P2P, people will move to other like the store we had last week. Yeah, I I don't know if I'll pro- I'll probably still stick with the private torrent trackers that I'm in because I trust those a little bit more. But at the same time, I might move to maybe more pirate or more private ones. Maybe to Usenet. Maybe I'll see if I can even crack my way into a scene group. But at that point, that would be probably even more riskier in terms of um, seeing a nice little jail sentence for me. Yeah. So, anyway, speaking of piracy, apparently an American judge has decided that IsoHunt must remove all infringing content. Yeah, which is a curious way of saying it, but um, I think in practice what they wanted to do is remove any reference to any copyrighted content. Which is meaning that they need to edit their search engine and stuff because uh, ISO Hunt actually does not have any infringing content. Yeah, this is basically kind of the same ruling that came against Mini Nova, in that it's a case of where the judge says, okay, if it's copyrighted, you have to filter it out. Well, in Mini Nova's case, and ISO Hunt's kind of going along with the same idea here, is that. Well, it's too much of a hassle to implement some gigantic filtering system that filters out every piece of copyrighted content ever created. So we'll just do kind of a whitelisting um, kind of way. And if somebody wants to upload something, we'll take it, we'll look at it, make sure it's not copyrighted, and then we'll allow it to be on the torrent tracker. Yeah, this is kind of weird because um, we were just talking about Safe Harbor in the previous uh, previous story. I'm wondering why IsoHunt is being treated differently in the U.S. like you than YouTube. Why why isn't the MPAA or whoever send takedown notices for any infringing content that is linked to? And IsoHunt says, oh, okay, well, we'll take it down and well, that- do it one on one instead of having them like summarily change how their business operates. Well, that's kind of been the argument of torrent sites all along, is that we're no different than Google. Right. They basically serve up little bits of data, not the whole thing, not not necessarily the copyright infringement stuff, just stuff pointing to that, and that they're no different than Google, yet Google can get away with it, and they can't. And, and that's kind of what they've been trying to use, and so far I haven't heard... Um, of that being too successful just because they are basically built around pirated content compared to Google. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I I guess they've got several different options. I can't, I'm not exactly sure where ISOHunt is based. I'm pretty sure it's not here in the U.S. But the... Um, site's founder Gary Fung is apparently kicking around a couple different ideas. I guess filtering keywords basically might as well go ahead and take down their search engine. So right. I guess they're basically looking into maybe creating a light mode that kind of strips out the categories and stuff and making it one big search box kind of like Google so maybe it's a little bit harder to find the copyrighted content and maybe they can get around it that way. They've also got the option of basically blocking all you all of the US from accessing it like there's been a number of um oh what was the name of the big torrent site that did that a few years ago before they shut it down oh 
uh, I can't think of the name of that type. Torrent Spy, that's it. Mm, yeah. uh, Torrent Spy, I guess, what was it? About three, two or three years ago, they had they ran into legal issues just like this, so they just cut off all access to the United States before they ended up going out of business or getting shut down or whatever. So, so that's another option for them. But basically, if you're a fan of ISO Hunt, you probably will you'll be seeing some major changes. Excuse me, some major changes here in the very near future. Yeah, and this is also a very very bad trend. Um, in which uh, the court is not looking at the law, but uh, looking at, uh, it seems like, people saying, well, this just sounds bad. Well, change the law. Don't crack down on people uh, who are abiding by the law just because it sounds bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, this this is kind of where I tend to side with like Spain and stuff and their copyright laws, and I believe Sweden as well, is I have no problem with people pirating stuff as long as it's for personal use. Mm-hmm. If you turn around and sell it, then I've got more of an issue with it. But for personal use, I see no issue with it, considering the fact that you can just DVR whatever it is that was that's basically the same thing. You can record it on VCR from a TV airing, and that's Pretty much just as easy as torrenting it or whatever. So I, I really don't see much in the way of a difference. So that that that's just kind of the way I view it. Yeah. Well, I, I guess the biggest part that that irks me is that you know we have a different set of laws for a different set of people, and it's uh-huh. just very inconsistent. Um, why why do they treat um, every usage of the copyright law differently for everybody? Um, ISO Hunt's not doing anything illegal, and you would think an expert or so-called expert, uh, aka the judge, would be able to term, determine between that uh, about what they're doing and what's illegal, and and they're not the same. And it just saddens me, and, and I just really, really hope we don't see more of this. But um, knowing how things are going, we are going to see more of this. Yeah, hopefully one day, maybe once we get some idiots out of office, these things will change, but as long as we have a president that supports ACTA, I have a feeling things won't change for the better. But speaking of different people being treated differently, apparently Facebook is killing the whole become a fan thing for brand pages and embracing the like feature. Okay, I'm going to have to have you help me with this. Like, I'm right, I was hoping it, you could I'm, help I'm, me I'm, because <laughs> like I I I put this on my blog uh, later like last week, because um, there are t- those are summarily different things. Uh-huh. Uh, so when you uh, become a fan of something, you kind of opt in to a group of people uh, um, who are on a fan page, and you can get notifications and email uh, emails from the site creator of the fan page uh, of upcoming events or whatever they want to spam you because you kind of opted in at that point. But saying that you like something is um, just totally different. That's just showing, hey, I thought this was good, and uh, I'm just saying I like it. Which doesn't sound like you're opting into something, but uh, according to this description, it sounds like you will be opting in to that by just liking something. Yeah, it seems to me like they're basically just changing around the wording, and it's going to confuse a lot of people, basically. It, it seems like this is 
more the case in terms of um, companies that advertise their brands and stuff or their Facebook pages for their brands mm-hmm. on Facebook rather than anybody that has a fan page, like a celebrity or something like that. So I've got well, a feeling I, that I not a whole that's... lot's going to change other than the naming. Well, that's exactly what. I mean, the, the, the function of the button to become a fan of something, um, the way that it's described is saying that they are just replacing the text in the button. So functionally, it will be the same, even though um, contextually it sounds very different. Yeah, I mean, to me it means two completely different things. So yeah. I I think this is going to end up confusing a lot of people at... I don't know. It seems like ever since they, ever since Facebook purchased FriendFeed, mm-hmm. they've started moving more to this like type of thing that FriendFeed had. And although it's still very different in how it operates, but they're trying to move more and more towards this whole idea of like rather than like being a fan of or whatever. Tell you the truth, it's it sounds like uh, uh, Facebook's not public, right? Uh, right. They're still I, private. It sounds like they're bump, they're pumping up their portfolio to go public, um, with uh, making fan pages or making individual pages more public, so it sounds better. Uh, becoming uh, pumping up their number of uh, possible possible advertisers by getting more people uh, to click on their links. Um, they're just bumping up their portfolio to go public. This is all that it sounds like. Yeah. I, this is, I don't know, it seems like a little bit of a goofy move to me, but I don't know. To me, it seems like Facebook tends to have not the most technical of users. I mean, they're more than some. I mean, they're certainly smarter than people who use MySpace. But um, it, I just, from what I've seen within my own friends and family and stuff, is that there tend to be a lot of non-technical users that can use it, and I think that mm-hmm. changing these little words here and there is going to make a big impact on them and their understanding of the site. Right, and but they, I think, by the time they do, uh, they may not notice. They just go along with it, and maybe they think they did something wrong and um, not totally understand or know who the right person is to blame. Which is will do what they what Facebook wants, which is they get more clicks. But I think this might um, start a user erosion, um, and it's really priming uh, priming the pump for another social network. And and Google's behind Buzz, uh, and they can just start wrapping that up into uh, supporting. Uh, I mean, they already support video and pictures. They could just wrap that up into a, a more uh, cohesive environment, and they could really give Facebook a run for their money. And then there's always Microsoft. Um, Microsoft still has Live. That's hasn't really flourished any. But if they get a if they get a, a a makeover like Windows Seven got a makeover, Windows Mobile Seven got a makeover. Uh, after they're done with that, I mean, Office looks great. Office, uh, the new Office is is got has gotten a really good makeover. Move that over to online services and social networking. Microsoft could be a player in two years. Yeah, I, for the most part, and there are a couple of exceptions, like the people within Microsoft that I work with. But I think for the most part, Microsoft doesn't really get 
social networks. They understand software and and experiences around software. They don't really understand things like social networks. That's why mm-hmm. they've always had whenever they've come out with an attempt of doing something, it's always been very fragmented and it's just never really fit well together to be able to turn into anything real wonderful. Yeah, but in these days, with everyone's greater awareness, they could buy their way into social networking at this point. Yeah, well, they do own 10% of Facebook, so I guess that's something. Yeah. But anyway, that would be all of the stories, and we're getting close to about time here. But our tips of the week, before I go into a couple of announcements... The first tip of the week is five free ways to identify that song stuck in your head. Uh, five different services for identifying songs stuck in your head. Anything from ones that you can play the music to, such as um, Shazam. So, for example, you're in a coffee shop or something, you hear a song, you're not sure what it is. Open up Shazam on your iPhone or whatever. It listens to the song, it figures out what the song is, and there's two other um, other services such as Madomi, Music, Musicpedia, Tunatic, um, Tune My Name, and some of these others that you can basically sing to yourself, and it'll figure out what the song is, or you can hum to it or whatever, and it'll figure out what the song is. I don't know. I. I know there would be times that I would certainly find this helpful. Um, whenever, Usually whenever I come across a song that I can't get out of my head or that I want to remember to look it up for later, I usually have to remember like five or six words of the lyrics. Then I'll go back and do a, a search on Google or whatever, putting in those five words and typing in the word lyrics after it, and it'll usually give me who it is most of the time. But... That's just some ideas for looking up um, some music that happens to be that you happen to hear but not aren't sure what it is. The second tip of the week is saving your boarding passes so you don't so you, that you don't lose out on frequent flyer miles. Apparently, um, with like Delta and Continental and stuff, if you save your boarding passes, you can end up with more frequent flyer miles or whatever, so if you happen to do a lot of flying, that might be something to look into, which I myself still need to look into some frequent flyer programs. I know I tend to fly Frontier most of the time, so that would probably be the one that would benefit me the most. But anyway, that would be everything except for a couple of announcements, and we are just about two minutes shy of, the, of ending the show, actually a little less than that. So I'm going to run through this real fast. First off, the official Global Geek News online store has launched. You can see the on the main Global Geek News page, which of course you can find all the show notes and everything at, there is a story on there that has a link directly to the store. Or in the top navigation on the far right, there's a button that says store. Click that, it'll take you to another page. Hit the Global Geek News online store in there and that'll take you to the online store where you can buy everything from um, Global Geek News branded t-shirts, jackets, cooking aprons, beer steins, water bottles, um, stickers, bumper stickers, buttons, magnets, gym bags, you name it, um, hoodies. You can you can 
find it on there for various prices. So please support the show. Go buy some t-shirts. Help Go buy some bumper stickers. Help spread the word about the show. Um, and I was going to make another announcement, but I think I'm going to wait for next week on that one as far as a possible giveaway. Um, don't forget to check out the blog at globalgeeknews.com slash blog. I know I didn't get much of anything up last week. I got a couple things up today. Starting today and for the next two days, so Tuesday and Wednesday, finishing up all my postings in regards to my trip to um, Microsoft. So one went up today, the other one will go up tomorrow at about the same time this podcast goes up, and then the last one will go up on Wednesday. So make sure to check those out at globalgeeknews.com slash blog. And for those of you that are wondering if an iPod or an iPad will blend, I also posted that on the blog. So <laughs> you can check out whether or not an iPad will blend in a Blendtec blender. And if you're looking for a spoiler, the answer is yes. <laughs> anyway, um, that is pretty much it for this week. Don't forget, you can always send us feedback, which we love, to the at Global Geek News Twitter account, or you can send it to me. I am at PCNerd37, or you can, or if it's regarding Wesley, you can send it to Wesley, who's at Wesley83 on Twitter. And you can always drop me an email if you got something longer than 140 characters to say. I am PCNerd37 at GlobalGeekNews.com. Or you can always just leave it in the comments for the show. Uh, There's definitely going to be some major changes to the show coming here in the next week or so. Something I meant to have done by this week didn't happen. Um, In terms of guests, a couple maybe a couple small format changes to the show. Basically, my attempt to make the show better. Um, Gonna see just how that works out. So don't forget to check back next week and. Until then, I think that's it, unless there's anything you want to wrap up with. Uh, go Red Sox? Boo. <laughs> anyway, we'll see you guys next week. Don't forget to check out everything at globalgeeknews.com. Later. <laughs>